Greetings, and welcome to Et Times Weekly Podcast, recorded live in Richardson, Texas. We invite you now to join us for one of our synagogue's Shabbat messages. Shabbat Shalom. Before we start, a quick announcement. Uh, for those of you who weren't here last week, I'll repeat the, the announcement from last week. We are looking to make our services more family integrated and family friendly and, and, and encourage uh, as many children as possible to be here for the entire service uh, whenever they're, as soon as they're old enough uh, to understand uh, and, and, and glean uh, from part of the message. And, and I think that happens a lot earlier than we give, give them credit for. Uh, and so what we are doing uh, beginning in March is we're going to be moving the uh, current uh, bar mitzvah class, the class like from age 10 to 12, we're going to be moving that uh, to the afternoon, the early afternoon, and so that those aged children can be here in the service with their family and worshiping together and hearing the message together with their family and to be able to go home and discuss the message together having heard the same thing uh, as a family. Uh, and then so the bar so we're needing the teachers to be willing to volunteer to move from the uh, morning time to the early afternoon time for that uh, 10 to 12 age group. Uh, and then secondly, uh, we have great programs for the adults in the afternoon and the youth in the afternoon, but we have nothing for the younger children. Uh, and so often parents can't, can't stay because they have no one to, to watch their kids and the kids just kind of run around. And so we're looking to have uh, some kind of program for the younger children in the afternoon as well. It doesn't have to be a formal organized teaching time, but it could be an activity time, it could be time out in the playground, but some kind of supervised time for the children. So if you are willing to sign up for a once a month or once every two month uh, rotation uh, to help watch our younger children in the afternoon for an hour or an hour and a half, two hours max, uh, please see uh, either Elisa Norman or, or Brooke or Viviani Frost. Uh, and they're going to coordinate for us this new program of activities uh, for the younger children uh, in the early afternoon. Uh, so, so we'll look for that to begin in March, but we need you to begin to, to sign up now because we're beginning next month. Amen? Amen? All right. Well, Shabbat Shalom again. Uh, we're in a series on marriage and family. I believe it's going to be a nine-part series, uh, uh, and today's part seven, if we're keeping track. And uh, today I want to talk about training and instructing and discipling our children. So turn with me to Galatians 4.19. We're going to begin with this kind of uh, summary verse of of Galatians 4.19. Uh, My children with whom I'm again in labor until Messiah is formed in you. Uh, This was the primary purpose of Ralph Shaul, the Apostle Paul, uh, that Messiah might be formed in you. Uh, that you might be thoroughly saved uh, and reborn from above. Uh, and Paul likens this process, interestingly, uh, to the pains of labor, uh, of giving birth. Uh, now, as a man, my, my knowledge of, of labor pains is pretty limited. <laughs> uh, but I do remember my, my wife Elizabeth giving birth to, to our firstborn, Rachel, uh, and Rachel was three and a half weeks late. Uh, and so, to, in order to induce labor, they gave Elizabeth this Pitocin uh, medication. And so they induced this labor. She was in labor all day long, literally the entire day. Great pain, a great struggle, uh, uh, and, and, and uh, still not much dilation. So at the end of the whole day, they sent us home. Um, we had to come back to the hospital a few days later. Where they, where they did the whole thing all over again. They gave her another shot of Pitocin. Pitocin. She was in labor all over again, all day, still insufficient dilation. They finally said, well, you have to do a C-section because she's three and a half weeks late. Uh, so they gave her this epidural, this kind of local uh, anesthesia, but then it didn't take either. <laughs> so finally, they had to give her a general anesthesia and put her under completely. 
but not before two full days of labor and intense labor pains. There is pain in childbirth. But the Bible says that afterwards, the joy is so great that the pain is forgotten. I don't know if that's true or not, Elizabeth, but <laughs> pain is forgotten. <laughs> Likewise, there is pain and labor and suffering in raising our children. There's a call to sacrifice. There's a call to no longer live for ourselves, but to live for others. Uh, and it continues for many years. And it can be difficult, but it is worth it. I'm not just talking about raising our children, but bringing them to Yeshua uh, and then training them up to walk with Yeshua. Our primary responsibility as believing parents is that we do all we can for our children to be born again and to follow Yeshua all the days of their life. Amen? That they know and love and walk with Yeshua. Look at the time that we're supposed to spend uh, investing in our children. But most parents today, especially if both parents are working, send their kids off uh, to daycare, uh, and then to pre-K, and then to kindergarten, and then 12 years of grade school. And if they're in a public school, a government school, what do they learn? Uh, and, and let me put this on the overhead. I asked what they learned because of this. Because he who controls the schools controls the world. And if you send your children off to Caesar... Don't be surprised when they come back looking like Romans. Is it any wonder that a recent Barna poll says that 70 to 80% of evangelical young people who are self-identified as believers lose their faith or have nothing to do at all with anything spiritual by the end of their freshman year in college? 70 to 80% of college students who had once identified as believers with the end of their freshman year said they no longer have faith. Why is that? Look at Luke 6, verse 40. Our pupil is not above his teacher, but everyone after he's been fully trained will be like his teacher. Everyone will eventually become like his or her teacher. So if you send your kids off to a secular humanist socialistic, relativistic government school, they will come out. Don't be surprised, but they will come out with a secular humanist, socialist, relativistic worldview. And the overhead. Whoever is your teacher is your discipler. You cannot separate education from discipleship. And you're two hours a week here at school, and then maybe an hour a week at best at home with your home Bible study, is not going to easily overcome 40 hours a week of secular, socialistic, LGBTQ, anti-biblical indoctrination in a government school. So who educates the majority of the children the majority of the time ends up discipling the majority of the children. And the pupil is not above his teacher, but but when fully trained, becomes like his teacher... You see the power of education and school choice in training and shaping and molding your children. Indeed, by grade 12, children spend 14,000 seat hours in school. Whereas the average believing family spends less than 30 minutes a week discussing spiritual matters. Less than 30 minutes per week on average. And if you send your kids off to government school, they don't even realize 
than what's being shoved down their throat. Because it is subtle and it's imbued into everything. It's their normal. It becomes the air they breathe. So they don't even recognize it. If you ask a fish, you know, uh, what water is like, uh, they won't know. (laughs) Because it's just just their environment. In the same way, your kids won't even realize they're being indoctrinated. But their worldview on all sorts of things, uh, premarital sex, uh, homosexuality, divorce, abortion, uh, transgender, uh, the Bible, uh, absolute truth, creation versus evolution, socialism, they will not be biblical worldviews. But what does the Bible say about our responsibility to educate our children? Look at Deuteronomy 6, 6, verse 6, very famous passage. Deuteronomy 6, 6. These words I'm commanding today shall be upon your hearts. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You'll talk with them. When? All the time. When you sit in your house, when you walk in the way, when you lie down, when you rise up. So as parents, we're to educate and train and disciple our children all the time. You know, we spend hours and hours each week for them in sports and other extracurricular activities. But how many hours a week in discipling them as Yeshua followers? Do we really think that 10 hours a week kicking a soccer ball is more important eternally than 10 hours a week learning the Word of God. If you count the amount of time the average parent has their children spend pursuing temporal or secular goals versus the amount of time they spend pursuing spiritual and eternal goals, there's a terrible distortion. So let me ask you, how much time are you as a parent investing in your children each week spiritually that they may grow in the Lord and be firmly established in a biblical Judeo-Christian worldview. You know, a half-day week at school is not enough. You know, we have amazing Junior Shabbat and Bar Bar Mitzvah and youth group programs here at Klein. We are blessed. They are amazing. But they're meant to merely supplement to what, to what you as parents do at home. The primary responsibility to educate and disciple your children rests with you as the parents. To instruct and train them daily at home. As the scriptures say, we as parents are to labor with them each week until Messiah is formed within our children. Yes, salvation is ultimately a sovereign work of God, of course, but that in no way annuls our responsibility to raise our children biblically. Or to disciple our children both for their own benefit and ultimately for the glory of God. Matthew 16, 26. What will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? Now, I want us to look at this in light of, of raising our children. And when you look at the goals that most Christian or Messianic parents have for their children, not what they say their goals are, uh, but what they actually do, uh, you look at how much time the, the average Yeshua-following parent actually invests in the temporal well-being of their children versus how much time they invest in the spiritual welfare of their children. Uh, there is no comparison. The temporal far outweighs the spiritual. 
So if you were to make a bar graph, for example, uh, the time the average Christian or Messianic parent spends on the temporal welfare of their children, the bar would go from the floor to the ceiling. And then the amount of time they spend on spiritual things uh, with their children, the bar would go about a half an inch off the floor. We care a lot about, let, about getting our kids into a good school. But how much time do we pray they'll get into heaven? We care a lot about what others think about our children uh, and about their success. But what about the far more important priority of what God thinks of them? And what he'll say to them on the day of judgment. And what he'll say to us as to parents for our, our role and responsibility in raising and discipling them. Again, what does it matter if your child gains the whole world but loses his or her soul? Fathers and mothers of time, please listen to me. Your primary obligation is to present and model the gospel to your children. Uh, and the day, to the end, that they may be saved. That's the number one goal of child rearing. On the overhead here, a second goal is then the spiritual maturity and wisdom of your children once they are born again. So look at Colossians 1.28. We proclaim Messiah, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom, what? So that we may present every man complete in Messiah. It's not enough for your child uh, just to make a profession of faith, but your child must be taught in the Scriptures. Many people, including many children, tragically, make decisions for Messiah, but are not truly born again. So we must continue in the Scriptures with them, uh, with one of the goals being that they come to a biblical assurance of faith, and then begin to, uh, to grow into a spiritually mature believer. Grow into a believer who can stand for Yeshua eventually without the aid of their mother or their father. A, a true man of God. A true woman of God. That should be our goal. The way our culture is going today, if there's not a real revival in this land, a lot of us could be in prison for our faith within the next 20 years. And our children especially if they're true believers, the true Yeshua followers, our children then are going to suffer. Will we have trained them sufficiently in the faith to stand strong on that day of testing? Or will they have a shallow foundation that crumbles under pressure? Parents, are you combating the culture and are you instilling a biblical worldview in your children? and building them up in the faith and in the knowledge of the Word of God, uh, and helping uh, to form within them a true love of Yeshua and a heart of worship, a foundation built on the rock that stands in the day of testing. So parents, the days ahead may grow dark over the next two decades. You may not realize this, but we are only one election away from government, government persecution against believers. You must prepare your children for potential persecution. You must teach them to be strong in the faith so that they can stand even if you, their father, is taken away and thrown in jail for being a Yeshua follower. Ephesians 4.13 Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, 
to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Messiah. As a result, we're no longer to be children, tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by the craftiness of deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we're to grow up in all aspects unto him who is the head, even Messiah. Amen. We want our children to be like Yeshua. And according to this passage, this requires them to be mature in their faith and grow in the knowledge of God. So they must be taught the Scriptures, which according to Deuteronomy 6 is the obligation of the parents and especially of the fathers. The result that according to Ephesians 4, they no longer be children spiritually, uh, tossed about by every new wind of doctrine that comes flowing through YouTube or, or through the Internet or, or the latest theological fad or heresy. We need them to be well grounded in the Scriptures and the core beliefs and truths of the faith of, of, as a Messianic Yeshua follower. And this comes through you, the parents, teaching, and even more importantly, illustrating the Word of God with your life. Now, I want us to look at another goal in, in, in training up our children in the way they should go. Turn with me to, to initially the book of Proverbs, uh, Proverbs 1, verse 2. Uh, to know wisdom and instruction, to discern the sayings of, un, of understanding. Parents, I recommend you go through the book of Proverbs with your children, that they may know wisdom and understanding and instruction. That's the whole purpose of the book of Proverbs. You need to teach your children discernment so they can judge truth from error. And act with wisdom and understanding. Look at the next verse, Proverbs 1.3. To receive instruction in wise behavior, righteousness, justice, and equity. So mere head knowledge is not the goal. The goal is wise, godly behavior. Now, when children go to public school, uh, are they taught wise behavior? Or godly behavior? Based on the Word of God? No, just the opposite. And the examples around your children, eight hours a day, if, if they're in public school, uh, are they examples of godly wisdom? No. <laughs> they're surrounded all day long by children who have no biblical grounding, uh, no Judeo-Christian morality or worldview. They're surrounded by children who are foolish at best, in many cases evil and demonized, and who, who've cast off all restraint and run wild, and whose foolish heart has been darkened. And these are the examples your children will imitate. Uh, and then we take them to school once a week, and we think that that alone can combat and overcome 40 hours plus per week of worldly, secular, carnal indoctrination in public, government-run schools. Who are we kidding? Proverbs 1, next verse, verse 4. To give prudence to the naive... To the youth, knowledge and discretion. A wise man will hear an increase in learning. And a man of understanding will acquire wise counsel. Will your children learn these things in public school? Absolutely not. It must be taught by you as parents in the home. Proverbs 1.7 is the most, probably the most famous verse of Proverbs. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. This is to be the basis, the fear of the Lord, the basis of all understanding and instruction and correction and biblical discipleship. And it's to be based in the home and taught by the parents. 
1 Corinthians 13.11. Paul says, when I was a child, I used to speak like a child, think like a child, reason like a child. But when I became a man, I did away with childish things. The world has had a tremendous and terrible impact on the body of Messiah. Most of the ways children are taught come from, the sex, from a secular idea of education. So, for example, uh, we say the children are supposed to be with other children the same age as them. Why? So that they can be socialized by their peers. But that's the direct opposite of what the Scriptures teach. Young boys are supposed to be with men that they may learn to put away childish things and become men. Young girls are supposed to be with women, that they might learn the wisdom of mature women of God and walk in that dignity. But the moment children are born, what do we do? We put children with other children their same age, and then they go to grade school, and they're segregated with other children the same age. Then they go to high school, and they run in these groups or packs or gangs of other kids the same age. And then we wonder, when they go off to college, they still act like children. Because that's who, that's who they've socialized with their whole life. There's a great movie that came out back in 2003 called Master and Commander, uh, starring Russell Crowe. It's an historical film uh, about the naval battles uh, between the French and the English during the Napoleonic Wars in the early 1800s. And, the, and in the movie, there's these two ships, an English and a French ship, that are brought together in war. Uh, they're literally tied together, uh, last together in battle. This is during the time of the great uh, wooden sailing ships with these huge masts and, 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 and sails. And the British are going to jump over into the French ship and, and charge the, uh, the French soldiers and sailors and attack. And you know what's so interesting? The man who leads the attack for the British is, is about 16 years old. And the, and the boy manning the helm of the British ship is even younger. And the reason he's given the task of, of heading the helm of, of the ship instead of charging over into the French ship is because one of his arms has already been blown off in battle. Now, I'm not promoting war, but here's my point. Young men became men much quicker than they do today, back then. And a young boy learned from youth on, from his father, how to be a man and the real responsibility in their homes, in their households. And young girls learned how to be a woman from their mothers at a very young age, and they had responsibilities in their households. Nowadays, we're lucky to find a man 18 years old who even knows how to shake your hand. We see the disintegration of biblical manhood and biblical womanhood all over the place today even within the body of Messiah. Because we follow the contemporary culture more than we do the Scriptures. Now I want us to look at a couple of essentials of raising children. Look at John 6, uh, 63. John 6, 63. It's the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words I've spoken to you are spirit and life. On the overhead, uh, raising children is primarily a spiritual endeavor. In the same way that we have no power in ourselves to, to raise the dead, we have no power in ourselves to give life, spiritual life to our children. So the first thing we must understand as parents is that we are absolutely dependent upon God. We must be poor in spirit, humble, 
broken before God on behalf of our children. Uh, and that should lead us, to number one, to, to praying to the Lord for our children, and number two, to sharing the Word of God with our children. These are our primary obligations as parents, being intercessors for our children uh, and sharing the Word of God with them on a regular basis. So number one, the Spirit of God is essential in the salvation of your children. And number two, the Word of God is essential. Look at uh, 2 Timothy 3.15. Paul says, From childhood, Timothy, you've known the sacred writings, which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation. Uh, through, the, through, through faith, which is in Messiah Yeshua. All Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate and equipped for every good work. I want us to notice here what Paul says about this, about Timothy. He says, since childhood, Timothy, you've known the Scriptures. He's not talking about adolescence, but since Timothy was a child, We've somehow developed the idea today that children really can't learn anything. And that's why in most congregations, not here at Eschheim, thank God, but in most congregations, children are just shuffled off out of the main service the whole time to do what? To draw and to paint pictures of Noah's Ark and Joseph's colored coat. Busy work. Let me give you an example of what I heard from from a very well-known preacher recently. Uh, He was asked to speak at a chapel service in a Christian school uh, with children ages 6 to 18, this huge age range. And he was asked to speak on propitiation. How's that? <laughs> a very deep theological topic. And the headmaster said that it wouldn't be a problem because they take, the t- they take teaching their young people very seriously there. So this well-known preacher, he starts teaching on propitiation, which, by the way, is the doctrine of the vicarious, substitutionary, sacrificial atonement whereby the sacrifice of Yeshua appeases the wrath of God and achieves our pardon and reconciliation with the Lord. Uh, and the preacher, he got to a place during his talk where he's beginning to speak about the Garden of Gethsemane. And he asked everybody, what was in the cup? And a little girl, eight years old, raises her hand. She stands up, straight as a nail, beside her chair, and says, Sir, the wrath of Almighty God was in the cup. Wow. Eight years old. Out of the mouths of babes. And then afterwards, the second grade teacher comes up to him, thanks him, says, you know, our second grade class has been studying propitiation. And this, your talk was very helpful. We today have such a low view of what children can learn. Let's not sell them short. The Westminster, Westminster Catechism, which most of us today, could not, including myself probably, could not understand unless you went to seminary, uh, was originally written for children. It was originally written as a means for fathers to teach their children at home the basics of the faith. Fathers and mothers, we need to teach our children the Word of God. The time they get to youth group, They should be fluent in the scriptures and able to witness to others and able to defend and debate their faith and debate an unbeliever. But in most Christian and Messianic youth groups today, not ours, thank God, but in most Christian and Messianic youth groups today, high school age kids, if you ask them, for example, what propitiation was, they wouldn't have a clue. They wouldn't know what you're talking about. 
And then Paul goes on to say this, 2 Timothy 3.15. Through the sacred writings, you're given the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith in Messiah Yeshua. Now, what are these sacred writings that, that, that Paul's talking about? The Hebrew Scriptures. The New Testament hadn't been written yet. Now, of course, the New Testament are sacred writings as well. Of course, the sacred Scriptures. But the point that Paul is making is that even within the Hebrew Scriptures, we see Yeshua everywhere. Everywhere. Yeshua himself says this in John 5.39 to the Pharisees. You search the Scriptures because you think in them you have eternal life. But it's these that testify of me. And then on the road to Emmaus, in Luke 24, 27, you read this. Beginning with Moses and all the prophets, Yeshua explained to them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. If we're not seeing Yeshua in the Torah and in the Tanakh, we are not reading it properly. It's ultimately all about him. And in 2 Timothy 3, Paul says that Timothy, even as a child, has been studying these things. And then the, the most famous verse here is, is 2 Timothy 3.16. All Scripture is God-breathed and profitable. For, uh, for, for, first of all, for teaching. The most profitable thing you can do as parents is to teach your children the Word of God. Now, notice how Paul talks about using the Scriptures. Second uh, Timothy 3.16, put this in the overhead, Paul lists four uses of Scripture. Teaching, reproof, correction, training. These four. Paul starts out with teaching, which is communication of truth, making known to your children, for example, who God is, and what God has revealed to us uh, about His will, uh, and also teaching your child uh, from the Scriptures who, she, who he or she is. Uh, and their problem of, of sin, you know, as, as a fallen son of Adam and daughter of Eve. And what God has done for them in Messiah Yeshua. And what he or she must do to be saved. And then how to live for Yeshua and walk with him and grow in him. We must teach our children the full counsel of God. And then we're told the second purpose of Scripture is reproof. Now most parents, they discipline their children in their own authority. Which is a dangerous thing to do. Now, as a father or a mother, yes, you have authority, of course, over your children. But you also have an authority that's over you, the Lord. A lot of parents, however, they act as if they're the ultimate authority in their child's life. So, for example, the child says, why should I do that? And what's the typical answer? Because I said so. <laughs> now, of course, there's some truth in that. But I recommend another way. Son, I'm going to communicate to you the will of God that's given to us in the Scriptures and given to me as your Father to communicate to you and enforce. And in the same way that you're required to obey God's commands, so am I. So do you see, with this approach, you're no longer dealing with your child in your own authority, but with the authority of God. So you're not saying, in my authority you need to do this and this. Instead, I share with you, my son, my daughter, the Word of God. And I say, did you hear what God just said to you? This is God's will for your life. And so when my child says, why should I obey you, Dad? I go to the Scriptures. And if nothing else, of course, you can go to the fifth command, right? Exodus 20, verse 12. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be prolonged in the land. The land the Lord your God gives you. So, for example, to be more specific, my daughter is telling a lie, 
I don't just say, in our house we don't lie. No, I go to the scriptures and I say, my daughter, do you see what God says about lying? You see the judgment of God upon those who lie. Do you see the devastating result of lying? So now I'm not acting as some king, but as a vice regent. As, as someone under authority myself, who's communicating with authority to someone who's under me. So we teach God's will to our children with the Bible. And the scriptures are our authority. Now let's say, for example, your son is angry. He's angry because his little brother took his favorite toy uh, without asking. Now, of course, you can have to deal with the, the little brother who, who took the toy without asking. But first, you've got to deal with the, the older son who's angry. His sin needs to be pointed out. Now, his outburst of anger is wrong. Now, what can I do? I can yell at him and say, you shouldn't be angry. Why, Dad? Because it's wrong. We don't get angry in this house. <laughs> and if you don't stop, I'm going to get angry. But there's another approach I recommend. <laughs> the word used here in 2 Timothy 3 is the word reproof. And it's a word that comes from the context of a prosecuting attorney in a court of law. So you go to your child with the scriptures that deal with anger. And you read those scriptures to your child until the word of God convicts him. Let the word do the work. And he recognizes that he's wrong. Not because you said so, but because God said so. That's the definition of biblical reproof. And then the third thing we're told to use the Bible for is correction. Teaching, reproof, number three, correction. So if I reprove my child and I show him he's wrong, and I convince him he's wrong, I must then show him how to respond rightly. That's correction. Often we just say to our kids, you lied or you were angry and you're wrong. Then we never teach them how they should have responded correctly and biblically. So after you point it out to your child, and after your child has asked for forgiveness, then you go back with the scriptures and say, Son, this is how you should have responded to what your brother did to you. You may want to take him to, to verses that, that talk about mercy or forgiveness, uh, about not reacting with outbursts of anger, uh, about dealing with conflicts with wisdom about how, how love believes all things, and love does not keep a record of wrongs, about how, how love assumes the best about another person and gives them the benefit of the doubt. So notice what I'm doing here. I'm using the scriptures to correct my child, to show them not only what they did was wrong, but what, how to do what's right. And then fourthly, on the overhead, we'll put the, uh, the scriptures are useful, we're told for training. You must not only teach your children, you also must train them, meaning show them, demonstrate to them, role play with them. Your children are trained not just by hearing, but by doing. So here's an example. And I heard this from another preacher, but I'm going to use his example. Your child runs in the house, he's all excited, and he slams the front door behind him. Not because he's angry, not because he's rebellious, just because he's excited. And he's playing hide and seek, and he runs out without thinking, and he slams the door again. What do you do? You could, uh, um, you, you could uh, repeat your, your, your order for him not to slam the door. You could remind him not to slam the door. Or you could yell at him and lose your temper. Or even better yet, you could take him to the door. We have him practice opening and shutting it quietly ten times. Then you have him run to the door as fast as he can and stop. And then open it as quietly as possible and close it. 
and repeat that ten times. Now, the next time he's all excited and running in and out, he'll remember to quietly open and shut the door. Why? Because he's now been trained. That's what I mean by training. My point is, children need not only to be taught, they need to be trained. So let's say your kids are noisy and boisterous and shrewd and can't sit still. Now, I'm sure none of this would ever apply to any of your kids. <laughs> but just suppose, hypothetically, you could give up, you could say, well, they're hyperactive. Or you could teach them, for, for example, um, you could, or you could train them, right? So, for example, first you could take away their video games. Why? Because the video games gives you a, your kids a very short attention span and requires fast-paced action all the time and makes them hyperactive. Even leads them to chemical, even leads to chemical changes in their brains when they have too much time in the video games. And you could go home then and play a game with them. Uh, you could tell them, today, kids, we're going to play shul. We're going to play being a shul. Uh, and you put several chairs out in front of you, and you have them sit in the chairs, and the game is, you have to sit there quietly for five minutes without moving or talking. And then you increase it to ten minutes. And the next day, 15 minutes. And the next day, 20 minutes. What am I doing? Instead of just telling them, be quiet and true, I'm training them. That's my job as the mother or the father. And my kids actually learn how to sit still and true and pay attention and not be disruptive. What are you doing with this example? You're training them. Now, now, most of our responses are learned behavior. So we need to practice and demonstrate and instill proper behavior in our children. And be aware, our children will copy your behavior, both good and bad. So be careful what kind of role model you yourself are setting. Do you want your children not to yell and scream? Well, good luck if you yell and scream. <laughs> Do you want your children not to swear? Well, do you swear? Our, you know, put this on the overhead. Studies have shown children learn curse words from three primary sources. From their parents, number one, believe it or not, that's where they learn curse words the most. Number two, from public school. And number three, from TV, YouTube, and movies. Be careful what influences you expose them to. Now, let me say a quick word about discipline. Discipline, of course, is necessary sometimes. But it should generally be used only after you've gone through these first four steps of what? Teaching, reproof, correction, training. Many parents walk around angry all the time because they allow their two-year-old to control the home. And the parents are pulling their hair out. And meanwhile, the two-year-old, he's growing up without proper boundaries. And he's learning how to manipulate mom and dad. And is fast on his way to becoming a spoiled brat. Now, it doesn't have to be that way. Your children can learn. Your children can be one of your greatest joys. But they must be taught and reproved and corrected and trained and disciplined. And that takes a lot of time and effort and attention and commitment. And sadly, most parents are unwilling to do that, to put in the time, especially when your kids are young. You know, doctors tell us that a child's character is basically formed by the time he or she is six years old. That's probably, by the way, the famous saying of the Catholic Church. They say, give us your child until age seven, and he's ours for life. 
So ask yourselves, mom and dad, how much time do I invest in my child, in my son, or my daughter, especially in their first six to seven years? How much teaching and reproof and correction and training do I give them in these first six to seven crucial years? Because by the time they're six or seven, their character is formed. And then they wonder why they're wild. But if you as parents invest time at the beginning of their life, even even if they're not yet born-again believers, they can be a great joy to you and your family. So, for example, the 11-year-old can be helping the 9-year-old with her math homework. And the 9-year-old can be playing beautifully with the 5-year-old. And and the 13-year-old can be watching over and protecting the 5 and the 9 and the 11-year-old like a bodyguard. (laughs) And they can all be best friends. That is not just some idealistic pipe dream. It can and should be a reality. But it will only occur if you as parents take the time to invest properly and biblically in your children. Turn me to Deuteronomy 6 again. Deuteronomy 6.6. 6. These words which I'm commanding you today shall be on your heart. You should teach them diligently to your children. And you shall talk of them while you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you, walk, when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign upon your hand, and they shall be as symbols on your forehead. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and upon your gates. This passage makes it clear we are to teach the word of God to our children. And in the day of judgment, we as parents, and especially we as fathers, will be called into account for how we fulfilled this responsibility. It is not the rabbis or the Shabbat school, school directors or the youth group leaders' job. Fathers, it is your job. We're to instruct and disciple our children. Now, what's the goal of teaching our children the Word of God? Deuteronomy 6, verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and all your strength. This is so important. The goal of teaching your children the Bible is so that they will love the Lord. You know, there are some parents who teach their children the scriptures and turn them into little legalists. Children who have lots of head knowledge or look, or lots of, look very good uh, on outward observance but don't know God. The goal of our scripture study is that our children love the Lord with all their heart and mind and soul and strength. Not so that they look good on the outside or know how to observe all the, all the external observances. It's that they love the Lord. So you're not... By the way, this is some, some parents uh, find this ironic, but you're, you're not primarily teaching your children about morals. You're primarily teaching your children about God. God the Father and Yeshua the Messiah, God the Son. And it's through a relationship with Yeshua that they live, they then live a life of moral purity and integrity and righteousness. Otherwise, if all we emphasize is morals and not a relationship with the Lord, we're just inadvertently teaching them the heresy of salvation by works. We're just teaching them legalism and religion, which is deadly. What we need to be teaching is how glorious and loving and beautiful and awesome God is. Yeshua is. And what Yeshua has done for us, 
as our Yom Kippur atonement, uh, as our Passover lamb, uh, saving us by his blood sacrifice, by his resurrection power. Deuteronomy 6, verse 6. These words that I'm commanding you today shall be on your heart. By the way, this is a commandment primarily to the fathers. Fathers, the study and teaching with the scriptures begins with you. The word of God, we're told, is to be on your heart and in your soul. This is a command of the fathers. So every father is therefore called by God to be a teacher, to teach your children. And whether or not you think you have the gift of teaching, you can do this. God will equip you. You know, if you had to study some very complex uh, computer manual for a job, you would do it. You'd master it. You'd find a way to learn the material for the sake of your job. How much more so with the scriptures for the sake of the eternal destiny of your children? So, fathers, apply yourself to study God's word and to teach it to your family. Next verse, Deuteronomy 6 7. It will teach them diligently to your children. Fathers, your sons need you. Your daughters need you. They both need you to, need, to be able on their own to understand and defend what they believe, to become a mature man of God, a mature woman of God. And they need this to be learned from you. Deuteronomy 6, 7-9, You shall teach them diligently to your children and talk to them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign in your hand and be symbols on your forehead. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and upon your gates. This is what some call teaching them in the midst. Teaching them in the midst of life. Because we tend to compartmentalize everything. That puts on the overhead. But this passage, Deuteronomy 6 says, we're to teach our children in the midst of life. Uh, and as a seamless part of all of life, our home and our life should be filled with the Word of God and with the worship of God continually. When? When you rise up, when you lie down, when you go out, when you come in. So it's not like, okay, we've had our, our 15 to even 30 minutes of family devotions today. So we've got the religious part of our life all fulfilled by today. Now we can get on with the rest of life, the real life, right? <laughs> no, that's totally the wrong mindset. The Word of God and the worship of God needs to be part of our entire day. So, for example, here's some easy examples. There's a beautiful sunrise this morning. Children, who made the sun come up? And look, kids, what it says in Malachi 1, verse 11. From the rising of the sun to its setting. God's name will be great among the goyim, among the nations. Kids, isn't this bread that mom made, isn't it great? Doesn't it smell really good and taste great? Who is the bread of life? Look, at the, look with me, kids, what the scripture says. Look at John 6.35. Yeshua says to them, I'm the bread of life. He who comes to me will never hunger. He who believes in me will never thirst. Kid, children, who gave us this bread? Who gave us this wonderful mom? You see how you can use everyday simple items to teach your children the Word of God and to exalt and lift up Yeshua. Then it says, writing the Word of God in the doorpost of your house and your gates. Yes, of course, we have the mezuzah. But why not also think of other ways, additional ways, to have the Word of God ever before you as well? Which actually, I think, is the real meaning behind this verse. Behind the verse of banning in your hand and between your eyes. So, for example... 
you could have your children write out scripture verses and tape them to your refrigerator door and your, your bedroom door and your bathroom mirror and memorize them for the week. Then next week, change them out. Write out new verses. Memorize them. Repeat each week. The point is this. Be creative. Uh, have Christian or Messianic music playing in your home and in your car. Uh, let, your, let your conversation be about the things of God. Find ways to fulfill the spirit behind Deuteronomy 6. Not just the letter of the law, but the spirit of the law. Have the word of God and the worship of God saturate your house. And take, most of all, take time to build a relationship with your children. That is the key to winning their hearts. Joshua 24, 15. But it's for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Amen? Hallelujah. Stand and pray. Mr. Team, I ask you to please come up. Hallelujah. Father, we thank you so much today for your word. You're worried about how to raise and disciple our children. Help us to be the mothers and the fathers and the grandmothers and the grandfathers you want us to be. Help us as children to obey and honor and respect our parents. Help us as young people to know the scriptures, to be able to present the gospel and defend our faith and stand up for a biblical Judeo-Christian worldview in this increasingly immoral culture and society. Lord, we thank you for your word that teaching the scriptures is the responsibility of the mother and the father and is to be based within the home. Help us to keep your word always on our hearts. Help us to teach it diligently to our children. And talk about you, Lord, your, and your word. Talk about you, Lord, Yeshua, every time we sit in our home, and when we walk by the way, when we lie down and when we rise up. Let your word and your worship and your spirit, Lord Yeshua, permeate our home. Lord, help us to instill your word in our children's hearts from an early age. Because you tell us that it's your word that gives wisdom, that leads to salvation through faith in you, Yeshua. Help us to wisely use your word, Lord, for these four purposes you tell us of teaching and reproof and correction and for training in righteousness. That, that we and our family may be prepared, prepared to preach the gospel, prepared to stand strong in the midst of persecution, prepared to be adequately equipped for every good work. We pray this all in your holy name, Hashem Yeshua. Amen. Shabbat Shalom.